Tomorrow marks the 50th official national observance of Memorial Day, though the origins of the day date further back. Tomorrow is a day we pause as a nation to honor and thank those who have served honorably and died bravely in this country's armed services. Soldiers whose lives were given sometimes freely, sometimes not, to defending the ideals of our country, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Throughout history, soldiers have entered military life for a variety of reasons, whether that be family or societal expectation, a means to a better life for themselves and family, patriotism, belief in a particular cause, being drafted, or out of necessity. The reason for joining becomes less important than the impact serving can have. Memorial Day honors those who said yes to the call of duty, who faced and overcame their fears, ultimately giving of their lives in service to something bigger than themselves. The question of whether or not war is just, whether violence is ever the answer or not, these are important questions to ask, but they are questions for another day. Tomorrow, Memorial Day, is a day to honor the dead. Like many things in modern day life, Memorial Day has become a complicated day, or perhaps it always was a complicated day. It seems that in today's world, it is synonymous with the beginning of the summer season, which is coincidentally kicked off with this three-day weekend, or at least a three-day weekend for those who work Monday through Friday jobs that provide holidays off. It is connected to a weekend filled with sales for cars and electronics and everything in between. It is filled with barbecue parties and parades, or has been in the past and in no doubt will be again in the future. With the capitalist machine running full tilt forward, it is easy to forget the purpose of this day and its origins. If we consider the history of the day in backwards order, we are reminded that the day was moved from May 30th to the last Monday in May in the year 1971, when the Congress enacted the 1968 Uniform Monday Holiday Act, shifting the timing of most national holidays to be observed on Mondays in order to provide workers with several three-day weekends throughout the year. Perhaps this was the beginning of the infringement of capitalism in the observance of national holidays. Skipping forward just briefly to the year 2000, congressional approval encouraged all Americans to lower flags to half-mast from morning rise to noontime, after which they were to be returned to the top of the mast for the remainder of the day. Additionally, we are all asked to pause at 3 p.m. local time in observation of a national moment of remembrance, a holding of the grief we can hold together. While originally crafted to honor those who died in the Civil War, by the end of World War II, Memorial Day included honoring military personnel who had died in all wars in which this country has been involved. Their tradition continues to present day to present day and often includes veterans and soldiers placing flags and flowers on the graves of fallen comrades. Three years after the Civil War ended, 
General Order 11 was issued by John, General John A. Logan, who was then head of the Organization of Union Veterans, known as the Grand Army of the Republic. In it, he establishes Memorial Day's predecessor, Decoration Day. Legend has it that he chose the 30th of May as the date because it did not fall on the anniversary of any Civil War battles. Though other researchers suspect that he chose the day in hopes of it being late enough into spring that flowers would be in bloom regardless of geography. That General Order 11 reads in part that the day is designated for the purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion and whose bodies now lie in almost every city, village, and hamlet churchyard in the land. He continues later in the declaration to say, let us then at the time appointed gather around their sacred remains and garland the passionless mounds above them with the choicest flowers of springtime. Let us raise above them the dear old flag they saved from dishonor. Let us in this solemn presence renew our pledges to aid and assist those whom they have left among us as a sacred charge upon a nation's gratitude, the soldiers and sailors, widow and orphan. At least that is the official story. Like many of our American stories, they can both inform and obscure. Some scholars such as Yale University professor David W. Blight author of Race and Reunion, The Civil War in American Memory, points to the year 1865, just three weeks after the Confederate surrender that ended the Civil War. He points to this as the first Memorial Day observance. Hundreds of Union soldiers, most of them black, had been interred at a makeshift prison at the Washington Race Course and Jockey Club, now known as Hampton Park in Charleston, South Carolina. The conditions were terrible, and most died by disease and exposure, resulting in their burial in a mass grave. According to Blight, 28 black workmen went to the site, reburied the Union dead properly, and built a high fence around the cemetery. They whitewashed the fence and built an archway over the entrance on which they inscribed the words, Martyrs of the Race Course the burial ground no became known as Union Cemetery. Eric Johnson, a writer for the C Chicago Crusader, continues the story, sharing that about 10,000 blacks in cooperation with white missionaries staged an unforgettable parade, which included the 54th Massachusetts U.S. Colored Troops and the 21st U.S. Colored Infantry, singing liberation songs. They would eventually be joined by 3,000 black schoolchildren who led a parade procession carrying armloads of roses and singing. The children were followed by several hundred women with baskets and flowers, wreaths, and crosses. According to Blight, many parade spectators gathered at Union Cemetery's entrance, white and black together. There, black children sang patriotic songs and spirituals before several ministers read scriptures. What I am struck by is the communal response to death and a mass grave, the importance of collective grieving 
and the honoring of lives lived that comes with reburying the dead properly. While the subsequent parade can be understood as a celebration of the end of the war and the beginning of a new freedom, the decorating of the graves and the picnics at graveside cannot be overlooked as anything other than expressions of grief and love. It is this communal grieving that brings us to observe Memorial Day each year, a desire to honor and mourn, to remember and support those left behind after the dead die. It is a way for the living to honor the price paid for the freedom to pursue life, liberty, and happiness that many of us enjoy. It is a reminder of the sheer enormity of the number of lives lost in a singular event or series of events. For the living, it is a tangible way we can say, as Sam said in his reflection, we will help shoulder the burden of grief. The need for communal grieving is what drives us to create ritual observances to remember the victims and rescuers of the 9-11 attacks and is what prompted President Biden and Vice President Harris's COVID-19 memorial service on the eve of their inauguration. In both of these instances, just as in war, those who died did not have full choice in the where and when of their death. Nor did their loved ones necessarily have the opportunity to gather their remains and mourn them properly. In this past year, of not being able to gather in person for many a funeral. The importance of collective expressions of grief and memorialization have become all that much more clear to me. Perhaps because of my work in hospice, I find myself spending time talking with people about their deaths and the deaths of a loved one, inviting them to reflect on the life lived and the ways they want to be remembered or remember their loved ones. I often find myself wondering what our Unitarian Universalist faith offers us at the time of a loved one's death or in the face of our own death. Our Unitarian Universalist faith offers us a framework of understanding heaven as paradise, achievable here and now rather than something only attainable in the afterlife. Historically, our Universalist forebearers offered us God's everlasting love with assurance that all will be welcomed into heaven. I trust in our universalist knowing of this unwavering holy love. It brings me comfort and it brings me relief. It reminds me that I am an active part of creating paradise, that I have a role to play in assuring all will be welcome. I am hopeful that this holy love has provided comfort to soldiers facing death on the battlefield. And I am hopeful that it brings comfort to you and yours. This holy love that is always available to us in times of need and in times of plenty. This holy love that reminds us that we are never alone, that we are interconnected in ways understood and unimaginable. Whether we call it love or God, spirit of life, or leave it unnamed, if we open ourselves to it, it is and can be all-pervasive, calling us to our best selves and reminding us that life is complicated and messy and beautiful 
And it reminds us that death also is complicated and messy and beautiful, just as in mourning and grieving. Like enemies faced by soldiers in war, COVID has been a devastating foe. And just as families whose loved ones die in war, those of us still living have nowhere to put our grief. We have no tangible enemy to blame. And like in times of war, we collectively are not just experiencing the loss of the lives of loved ones, but also the loss of jobs, loss of relationships, loss of freedom, loss of support systems. We cannot deny the inequities of those support systems that just as the black Union soldiers experience different treatment than their white counterparts, we too must recognize that India, Nepal, Venezuela, so many countries around the world are still struggling and still waiting. We cannot ignore the increase in anti-Asian and anti-black hate crimes. We cannot understand them as people lashing out in grief and fear while simultaneously calling for systemic changes in society but we cannot ignore they are happening, nor can we ignore the disparities in access to healthcare and vaccines. We cannot ignore the targeting of anti-trans legislation, nor the attempts at voter suppression, nor humanity's impact on the planet and climate. Our UU faith teaches us that we are an interconnected web, that what happens to one of us impacts all of us. This is true in justice, and this is true in grief. Our interconnectedness means that when we come together for collective grieving, we are not just grieving for the people we love, but all the people of the world. Let us then mourn, feel our grief, begin to untangle and also take moments to recognize the joy of being alive, of making it through a time of strife, that joy and grief can exist in the same moment, on the same day, that they are inextricably intertwined. Maybe this Memorial Day can teach us something important, to be bigger, in honoring of death, a celebration that science is starting to give us reprieve, and a reminder that all life is sacred. But also, let us remember the day for what it is meant to represent, a collective mourning for those soldiers who gave of their lives in war. Let us enjoy the freedoms we have with appreciation for their selfless act and with tenderness for those they leave behind. May it be so, and may we be the ones to make it so. Amen. Mm -hmm.